In a world with uncertainty, one thing is for sure. Cancer doesn't stop during a global crisis. On Saturday, June 13th, the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, LLS, will host a trailblazing event, Big Virtual Climb, sponsored by AbbVie, to support their investment in groundbreaking research to advance blood cancer cures and its first-in-class patient education and services, including financial support and clinical trial navigation. Step up to take cancer down by climbing 61 floors or 1,762 steps, inside or outside, on stairs, on the road, or your treadmill. Climb your way. Join us for an opening ceremony and then take on your climb with our heart-pumping playlist. Join us on June 13th from coast to coast as we come together to climb, conquer, cure. Register at lls.org slash bigclimb. Welcome to another edition of The Throwback. Chris Meany, Jake Steely, and Brad Ziegler. Back again after a week off and coming at you consistently each week from here on out until the NFL season from The Athletic. If you haven't already subscribed, please do so. Also, rate and review. I've seen the reviews pile up lately, so uh, that touches my heart. Greatly appreciated, guys. That's all I want from you. A rate and review. Subscribe. Nasty comments, I'll take them, but I just want the rate and review. Guys, it's been what feels like weeks. I've missed you both. So much. I'm so happy to be talking to you guys. Uh, Jake, we'll start with you. How's things, man? How's the, how's the Zoom dating life going for you? Oh, that's, that's not doing anything good. That's, you know. <laughs> Sometimes, man. <laughs> it's basically treating him like the A's owner treats their minor leaguers. Oh, oh look, shots fired already. Yeah, I was kind of hoping you were going to joke and say my intro with the, what did I say, like pancake syrups and hugs or whatever it was. Cause I kind of need to laugh. Although the Zoom date thing did get it. It's funny that there's still like that 1% out there, which is, hey, we'll, we'll talk about that 1% in a different way that thinks that I'm doing it for myself and just not, hey, I have friends on Twitter as I say friends as in my followers just want to, they ask Ask me to share my misery. You're sharing in my misery. It's funny. It's frustrating. It's life. It's not like, oh, woe is me. So just understand that. And if you don't, unfollow me. But uh, yeah, that 1%, it's like, I don't know. Maybe it's more than that. You know what? It's not just 1%. And I want to go to Brad on this. And this is for everybody out there. Yeah, this is baseball. But this is relative because I can't see the NFL going the same way. If anything, learn from baseball. I got pissed. There's no other word for it on Twitter last night, and I'm shocked, and I really want to hear what Brad has to say because Brad's in the thick of it always from where he played, from when he's part of the you know the, the negotiations and everything. But I'm sitting here, and I'm watching after MLB throws out that, and he, you know what? We're allowed to curse on this show. So that shit oh, offer that they threw at the players and then try to – look, this is what they did. For anybody out there that doesn't know this, don't kid yourselves. The owners knew what they were doing. They pitted the players against each other. That was their whole goal. They created this sliding scale system where it's not just 50%. It starts around 50% and jumps up to just over 75% for the people making 30 million. which you want to do the quick math. Forget the 75. 
Let's just just throw out with what they were doing with the fifty percent. That's fifty percent off of what they were already taking away from the games not played. So essentially, now we're talking about one fourth of what they were going to make this year. Again, they're already not for everybody. You don't understand. They already agreed and already are not getting paid for games that aren't going on. So half the season, now half of that salary, it's one fourth. Could be worse if you're making 30 plus. So now they're trying to get the players to fight against themselves. When the owners are sitting there knowing that they don't lose anything if the season goes on. For everybody out there, oh, the owners are losing money. Oh, the owners are losing this hundred million dollars and blah, blah, blah. It's like mutual funds. If anybody's ever owned a mutual fund, there are certain areas where you can lose a little bit money and you're still okay. That's why you have a mutual fund. And even if all the mutual funds lose a little bit of money, that's your downtime and it comes back around because all these owners have numerous revenue streams. All these owners probably still aren't going to – and, I, again, I want Brad to tell me if I'm wrong. Please tell me if I'm wrong because this is pissing me off. All these owners hot. No, they're probably not even losing money on baseball to start with, let alone everything out there. So I'm just I'm just trying to present the fact of like let's even say they are. And it's just laughable to me the people that are calling the players greedy because they make ten million dollars, because they make fifteen million dollars, because they make whatever. A lot of these players that are gonna get hit are the ones that are going from five hundred to two fifty to now one twenty five. It's a lifestyle. Go to your job and get paid twenty five percent of what you're making for the lifestyle that you're living. It doesn't matter that they're making millions and we're not. Where do we it's an arbitrary number. You cut your salary seventy five percent and try to live off that for half of a year, essentially for these guys their entire year because this is their year salary and tell me if you can continue living at 25% of what you're making. And then, God forbid, the, the, what Brad threw out, the A's owner not even paying the minor leaguers, which if you totaled it all up, Jeff Passan put it out there, would have been $1 million total dollars. The guy's worth $2 billion. He can't afford $1 million to pay minor leaguers that are getting $500 a month or $400 a month, whatever. I cannot believe, Brad, anybody is trying to call the players greedy. Yes, yeah, and it's not even just the minor leaguers. It's, it's the, you know other staff that they furloughed also those people rely on that income and it's you know it's not like you know yeah the gm and the assistant gm and the you know scouting director those guys make good money but the rest of the the staff that they have a lot of those people are are making you know middle class money at best and and especially you talk about a team out in california like oakland where the cost of living is is extremely high i promise you the the oakland people the oakland uh you know Front office workers, stadium workers, team workers are not making any more than the Kansas City team people in those same positions and to adjust for cost of living. It's, it's absolutely absurd that anybody is siding with the owners on this. They, the owners not, like you mentioned, Jake, not only wanted to pit the players against each other, they want to pit the players against the fans. They want the fans to put pressure on the players to play and make them look like the bad guys if they say, you know what, no season. Because they are at least saying, hey, here's an, you know, here's an offer. Everybody feels sorry for us because we're going to lose money because of the, the stands not being full. That's absolute garbage. They, they, I, I know for a fact, I have seen financials for every single major league team and every single team would profit if there was no, no fans, no fans in the stands. They just would not profit as much as if there were fans in the stands. So for them to, they're basically saying we still want to make a whole lot of money and we don't want to, I don't know. It's, I, I feel like this is leaning toward 
pushing something into the player's face for the CBA that's up after the end of 2021 because it's going to be a, a, an absolute dogfight after this. And who knows if they end up playing. I hope they do. I hope they end up reaching a, a common ground because this could be similar. From, from what I understand, this is the first formal proposal from the owners. Every year when we started CBA negotiations, the first formal proposal from the owners had a salary cap in it, a hard salary cap. And they knew that was an absolute non-starter for us. It was just garbage. And two weeks ago, you know, all this stuff was floated about how they're going to ask the, the players to take a, you know, a 40% revenue or 50% revenue after the season, like to determine what they're going to make after the year's over when they actually see the numbers come in. That's a salary cap. So they're, they're trying to find different ways to push this stuff onto the players. It's, it's atrocious. Like I, I, I will say this. Kudos to the Marlins coming out this morning. And saying their minor leaguers were going to be play, paid all the way through the end of August, which is basically the minor league season. There's a few weeks after that um, if you make the playoffs, but the minor league season essentially ends at Labor Day. And so um, they, kudos to them. That's a team that is is even a smaller market than Oakland. They're they lost money in 2019. Um, and they are still making sure that their guys are taken care of. And what they're doing is creating a culture of. Players may want to come here because they're at least going to treat their minor leaguers well. They are at least going to treat their their team well. Whereas, who wants to go play for the A's right now? And, and granted, those guys are locked into a contract, have no say. They can't get out of it. They can't go sign with somebody else. But at this point, when you have this kind of hanging over you, if you're a minor league free agent or a big league free agent, why would you want to go to a team that treats their players that way? And and to me, I would I would if if my choice was Oakland and Miami, I would go to Miami at this point just because I feel like they're at least going to take care of their own and such a i just thought yesterday brad was such a dark day for baseball like i just it just seems to me that they're so far apart and you're right you know they're usually far apart with the first proposal but it just seems very unlikely that they're going to be able to come together and and also they're running out of time yeah, Let's that's the thing. The, a normal CBA proposal, you do it at the beginning of bargaining and you have like nine months to figure it out. This is, they don't have that kind of timeline here. They're looking, if they're wanting to start in July, like they're saying, they need to get something done quick because players would be reporting in about two weeks to get some spring training work in. Yeah. And don't, and, don't and, let anybody sit home and think that this isn't for your point, right? Like the owners know this. Like the, some, because Tommy tweeted and they said, well, what's the better alternative? No baseball. And I said, if I'm a player right now, I'd giant middle finger no baseball screw you i'll take the entire year off and throw it in your face because it's what you're saying like there's no time the owners know they have all the leverage it's all because it's the players are losing their entire salary the players know the season's pushing up against them if it's not the players now you have these idiotic fans saying that they're the greedy ones and they're the problem as you said is now that's in fighting against them and it's fans versus them and it's all it's all the owners the owners can sit back on their billions and just sit back and laugh as they force it all on the players, and that's what's so aggravating about it. And then you have, like I said, all these people coming out on Twitter last night and calling these players greedy for not getting baseball started. No, it's the owners because they're sitting there basically saying, like, here, you can enjoy this shiny-ass turd that I just gave you unless I don't want to give you a reasonable offer because I know I don't have to give that to you. And and not only that, but this could be a test from the owners, too, to see are the players financially willing to miss time – Granted, from, you know, at least from something they could control, because it might be a lead into how likely is a lockout come 2021 and, or 2022 after the 21 season. They, they could be, this could be kind of a test to see like how firm are the players going to stand and are they going to be united in this? Because 
we need to know their mentality. Um, a lot of people have been critical of Tony Clark and he's not as tough as Don Fear or Michael Weiner. And, and is, you know, are they going to be able to hold this group of players together? That is from a, let's be honest, a, a pretty spoiled entitled generation of, of, of people of, of Americans coming up. So it, it's, it's going to be interesting to see, um, how quickly this can go because I'm sure the players union has a, a counter proposal already. They're clearing it with the, with the leadership from the players and they will get it back to the owners quickly if they want to get the season going. And I know from talking to a bunch of guys, they definitely want to. Um, they're just shocked that, that that's where the owners decided to start this thing. Well, you're starting to hear a few players like Marcus Stroman yesterday. Uh, I forget the exact quote, but he just said it didn't look promising that there's going to be a season. Mike Clevenger spoke at as well. And I thought, you know, I agree with you, Jake, and I think we're all on the same page. We've been talking about this for a little bit. I mean, the, the fans, the quote unquote fans that attack the players, especially on Twitter, we said so many times, don't do this. Don't be that person who attacks a player on Twitter and, and calls them out like that. But the, the fans that are, are calling these players greedy, they're just absolutely clueless. And I thought Trevor Bauer said it perfectly. And Bauer's been great throughout this whole process i love the players who are outspoken and and you know they'll they'll take to twitter they'll address the the haters uh, some of them and you know bauer has been you know on on videos and podcasts lately talking about this too but i'll just paraphrase a few tweets that he had and he was just kind of putting in perspective of just take away the fact that he's a baseball player just put for an example a client who is renovating apartments did you see him talk about that when he's saying a client who's renovating apartments says he will now pay you 100,000 this year for your painting services you agree and you sign the contract you expect to be paid 100,000 the client then experiences a fire loses half of his apartments just say as an example he says that's not your fault but it's not the client's fault either so you mutually agree that you will accept 50,000 instead of 100,000 as a show of good faith a new contract is signed. Then the client realizes they won't be able to rent as many of their apartments as they originally thought. So they propose that instead of paying you 50K, they'll pay you half of their rental income. You have no idea how much their rental income is, and then they won't disclose it. The question is, then it becomes, is it your fault? As the painter, the client cannot rent his property. You have done the same quality of work and even worked with the client to reflect doing the less overall work. So, I mean, Bauer goes into the, it's like a, a huge tweet thread, but he just like puts it into perspective to think about it. It's not just, oh wow, these millionaires are millionaires and billionaires. Like, oh, these players are greedy. And I just, I think it's a complete joke. And this latest proposal from Jeff Passan, and I'm just like reading a few tweets. He's talking about the player cuts, just for an example, somebody making 35 million makes 7.8 million and making 25 million go to 6 million, 1 million go to 434,000. But also from Jesse Rogers of ESPN says about 65% of all players make a million or less. So, um, I mean, it's, yeah, the big, the, the big pays are going to get cut, but you got to think about all these other players that are hardly making anything either. And, and that's the big thing too. So yeah. let, let me make one more thing clear is for the people that are missing the point wildly on Twitter. I'm not like, oh, you guys are idiots, but just missing the point because then they push back and they're like, Hey, they're still making eight million. They're still, you know, oh, they can afford blah, blah, blah. Again, put your, it's, it doesn't, the, the money they're making is irrelevant. It doesn't matter if it's, I said, I, this is the tweet I put out. It doesn't matter if you're making $10 or 10 million. It's what you've like, you set up a lifestyle where you bought a house based off of what your salary income is. If you're the average Joe out there making whatever the median income, let's say $50,000, and all of a sudden you're making one fourth of that, and you try to have to live off what is 12.5 to $12,500, all of a sudden you're supposed to live off that. You're just, it doesn't work. And 
that's even before you get to the point of everything Trevor Bauer just said, everything Brad has said, and the fact that it's a sliding scale. That the, It's not even they came to the table with, hey, look, we can't make it work on what we initially said. So what Brad said, I think, was it three, four weeks ago, Brad, let's say well, we're going to pay you still for the rest of the year, but everybody flat 20% cut of what you were going to make. That would have went over a hell of a lot better. Yeah, way better. It it would not the players wouldn't like it, but that would have went over better. And that would have went over better in the in the public the the public opinion, you know, the court of public opinion too because it 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 just treats every player the same. And that's what you want. You don't want to have guys as a players union, as a group, as a locker room, you don't want to have guys who are given preferential treatment. And from people don't understand a lot of times almost Every player does not live in the city where they play baseball. So there is a whole new set of living expenses that comes with, you know, if you have a home, I had a home in Kansas City. I never once played for the Royals. So I had a home in Kansas City. I also had to have a home in or apartment or rent a house or whatever in Arizona and then move to Boston and then move to Miami. There, There's a whole new set of furniture, uh, you know, all kinds of random stuff. And when, when you're taking – Taking a whole bunch of this guy's salary, you know, like you said, take 75% of it away. All of a sudden that becomes a lot tighter squeeze. And it doesn't matter if the guy was making a million dollars and now he's down to 250 or whatever. That's, that's a lot tighter squeeze because you have a mortgage payment on your house where you were, you bought that house and the bank gave you a loan on that house based on the money they thought you were going to make. And, and there's not a whole lot of forgiveness from from bank loans right now on a big mortgage. I will say that. They they are forgiving people who have a smaller mortgage payment. They are not forgiving people who have large ones because they just assume those people have money. And when that money is is not coming in, it it really puts a, a stress on you. And and then they expect you to just go out and play baseball as if like everything's fine. It's not. Like it, it's everything is going to be different this year. Let alone walking out there with no fans in the stands is going to be really bizarre. And it'll be interesting to see if they, they pipe in noise for baseball games like they do for soccer, the, the broadcast I've seen for soccer, because it's not the same. Like there's not this constant buzz in baseball that there is in soccer. And it's, I don't know, it, it's, everything is just feeling super tense right now. And hopefully cooler heads will prevail and, and the owners will, will realize that, that, and I will say this, if the players do end up, if, if the season ends up happening and the players do end up getting a majority of this back that they're, that they're upset about and the deal ends up tilting way more toward the player's side, everybody is going to look at it like the players whoop the owner's butts in, in this negotiation. But if it doesn't happen and there's no season, everybody's going to look at it like the players are spoiled brats. Yep. Yeah, for sure. Dan Straley was on uh, WARP um, just before the KBO season started, and he was talking about how awkward and weird it was just to hear conversations in the dugout, water bottles drop while you're pitching, and, and the motivation factor, and just no, not having any fans there. See, but it seems I, like we're. I don't. It seems the, like we're a long ways away from yeah, that. Yeah, I don't want the pipe noise. I want to actually hear the players talking junk. I want to hear that conversation. Like, mic them up yeah. even more. <laughs> Sure, yeah. Um, but to your point, Brad, too, as well, Jesse Rogers, again, shout out to him of ESPN, says the minimum salary this year is 563000 That player would make just under two seventy under the proposal. So that's a yeah, significant that, pay cut. Just under two seventy before income taxes are taken right, out. Right, exactly. And then, and then you lose about half of that or close to it, maybe 40% of it. So then, yeah, you're talking, it's a, it's a, like you do not take home anywhere close to what the number says, you know, at the start. And then, you know, factor in that you're only playing half the season and, 
there's just a, a whole lot to, uh, of considerations for guys who probably most of those guys do not have a lot of money in the bank. The guys that are making the league minimum, a lot of them may only have a couple months of big league time and have almost nothing in the bank. And they like th- that money means a lot to them, but they also are expecting a whole lot more because that's, I mean, that's their lifeline. That's what they expected when they got into this. And, you know, it, it's, I don't know, especially, and, and I will say this from the player standpoint, the biggest thing is, a few weeks ago, a month ago, the owners agreed in the players' eyes. The owners agreed to just play a straight prorated salary, and now they're trying to come back and get the players to take less. And that's what has a lot of the players upset because they felt like they already went through this negotiation and agreed we'll just take our game rate times eighty-two or whatever the number the number of games is, and that's what we'll make. And that's that's now the owners are coming back saying that's not good enough, even though they already agreed to it once. Right, and that's what I was getting at with with Trevor Bauer there when he was he was talking about being a painter. Um, yeah, ugly man. It's it's not good. And lost in all this is we're in the middle of a pandemic, and it just feels like they're just trying to take advantage of of the players in in this entire situation. So let's let's kind of move on. Okay, Brad, yes or no? Baseball this season? MLB? Uh, yes. Really, Jake? Yeah, I think they'll play, but I I don't know what the format's going to be like. I'm going to say no. Uh, yeah, after yesterday, I initially was yes, but after yesterday, I I don't think it's a complete no, but I would lean more no. Than, like if you – odds in Vegas, it was the over – or just a simple yes, no, I would actually bet on the no side at this point. i tell you what, hockey, kudos, did it, did it right. NBA, they're trying to do it. At least they're doing a really good job of making it look like something's going to happen. Baseball is just effing it up in every possible way. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Um, yeah, it's been a crazy few days in the world of sports. I mean, we had the match, uh, Tiger, Peyton, Brady, Phil. I thought that, that was, was highly great. entertaining. Yeah, I thought it was really I just good. felt better about my golf game, honestly. Of course. <laughs> yeah, you can. <laughs> it, it, it was just classic Brady was just your average golfer, right? You struggle. You you hole one in. Uh, you lost it. He probably lost three or four sleeves of Peyton golf Peyton had some bad ones, one too, in. especially on the second the drive did. on the second hole. I don't think did they ever find it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. Um, and then he rolled in a putt, Brady, too. So it was a little bit of everything. But, you know, those shots from 150 out that you hole in, even if you're just a very, very average golfer at best, those are the ones that keep you coming back. So I was, it was highly entertaining. You mentioned the NHL. They released their 2014 return-to-play format yesterday and draft lottery plans, uh, the biggest hurdle yet to come, of course. Uh, they don't think that playoffs would likely they, – they say at least maybe in August, so they're still a long ways away from yeah, on the ice. <laughs> Chris, you're the hockey guy. <laughs> Are we basically yeah, yeah. talking about like a three-week off-season at this point? Yeah, they they Gary Bettman said yesterday. He's best case scenario is that the next season starts January first. So oh, so they're going to push back the regular would, season too? Yeah, they would push it back. My understanding so would when, be from September to then. When do you catch November? up? Or are they just going to start leaving it? Or actually, I would love it if hockey and basketball should just do that anyway. Like, stop. Screwing around with starting during the NFL season, just start in January. Oh yeah, that and and maybe the NBA too. There's been some talk about shorter seasons tournament, but yeah, you're right. There's some reports I think of yesterday potential startup mid July, but things are just not as optimistic in the world of baseball. So um, yikes. We'll move I on. I think from the that. NBA you could do that. Hockey you can't have hockey playoffs in like 
August. That's all. Like, <laughs> oh, I know. It's it's silly. <laughs> a lot be, of people are. You need it in the. You know. I know it's it's already weird when it's in June, but I know. It's, you can't put it in the even hotter part of the summer. I, well, I know, and I was thinking about that. I was like, hockey in July and August, but then when I was listening to Batman, it's like, oh no, they're going to start after the summer, so everything yeah. is going to be delayed. It's going to that one's. I, I seriously, yeah, it's good. You're going to have to like bring a jacket after you're wearing shorts and a t-shirt to go inside and watch the game. Although NBA <laughs> could care less because NBA let the playoffs start in February and go until August. That's just stupid. But anyway, yeah. Um, okay, let's talk some football because we were 22 yeah. minutes. It was a good rant, by the way, Jake. Well, Impressive. you can go back I for everybody it. that's still listening straight through. For everybody that didn't, you can go back and at the beginning of the show, you can drop a little tag in there and be like, "Hey, we start at 22 minutes if you just only want football." <laughs> but hey, heads up, the beginning talk is really good if you care about financials and sports. Yeah, and I think I think there's some people out there who do that are listening to us. I mean, we have a former big league player on the show. Right, Brad? I mean, they're, I mean they're, this might be the most your, baseball we ever uh, got to talk insight. about. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. And I, I'm, I'm over it. I'm so and ready to done. talk about football. Brad is ready to move on. I am ready to move on as well. But before we get to football, I know the people at home, come on, come on, come on. Before we get to football, I wanted to just give a shout out to one of our sponsors here today. And speaking of athletes and football and top performers, a shout out to Hydrant. Did you know? That 75% of us are walking around everyday life chronically dehydrated. We are suffering needlessly from frequent headaches, energy slumps, and poor focus. But it doesn't have to be this way. Hydrant creates flavored electrolyte packets you mix directly into your water to make hydrating your body easy and delicious. Each rapid hydration mix has the four essential electrolytes your body needs. Sodium, potassium, magnesium, and zinc to help you hydrate quickly and stay hydrated all day. Hydrant starts at just a buck a packet for a 30-day supply. And for 25% off your first order, go to drinkhydrate.com slash football. That's drinkhydrate.com slash football for 25% off your very first order. One more time, drinkhydrate.com slash football. Okay, there's been uh, a few articles released at The Athletic over the past couple days. One this morning from you, Jake. Um, if you haven't already subscribed, you can do so at theathletic.com slash free 90 days. It's part three of a four-part series you have on the go. And today, you're talking about finding fantasy football's next breakout wide receiver. There's a guy in there, and we won't get into it too much. I want to you know, share the deets. Nope, but the uh, there's a guy in there that uh, checked the link, hashtag check the link, buy the shirt. Um there's a guy in there that I really like, and I think we all like, and I'll just say him, Terry McLaurin. Um, the, in our athletic mock, I think I took him in the sixth round as my third wide receiver. Talk to us about what you like about Terry McLaurin, and then we'll move on from from that piece. Uh, do you, Did you happen also, Rhea, do you know where Terry McLaurin finished last year? Uh, wide receiver 24? 28. That's, that's fine. Ah, so okay. he also happened to, at the beginning of the season, when McLaurin and Case Keenum were on neck, you know, basically on a really good system heading into week six, he was wide receiver 10 through the first six weeks. The final three weeks, he finished as a wide receiver two. And again, look, I'm not doing this. This is just a point just so people can understand of McLaurin and what his ability was. If you just take the eight games, the five games he started with Keenum, the last three games when Haskins started playing decently, still hasn't fully hit his ceiling. You take those eight games and again, I would never do this because this is how you fall into a trap in fantasy football. But if you did double that up to extrapolate it, it's 78 receptions for 1,362 yards and 14 touchdowns. Again, 
would never say that's that's top three. I'm not saying Terry McLaurin is even that. I'm just saying that's the ceiling when you talk about Terry McLaurin. That's just the, that's the simple version. You go read the full part about it, but that's the ceiling. That's the ceiling of Terry McLaurin when he's at his peak. He's never going to do that over 16 games. He's never going to be a top five, probably not top 10 wide receiver. But the point is when you can put up those kind of numbers, even over a eight game sample, even with the down games, even with what Dwayne Haskins did. And again, Dwayne Haskins only started to play decently and can still do better over a full season. To get him as a wide receiver three or four with somebody who should easily finish near the top 15 this year, that that's the biggest reason. Like, you tell me he can't put up 80 receptions, 1,100 yards, and around the set, about six, seven, eight touchdowns like he did last year, I think that's – I'd bank on that. Yeah, I, I would I would completely agree. Enormous upside with, with McLaurin. It's, um, and, and you have to think – you have to think that – that there's going to be improvement in his quarterback play this year. And, you know, hopefully Haskins takes a step forward. Um, but the, the biggest question to me in a scenario like this is you bring in a new head coach, a new offense, and you don't have mini camps and, and a full training camp to get ready and run the system. That's, that's the only drawback to me in this whole scenario. <clears throat> and I honestly feel like it's going to be that way for every team that has a new system a new coaching staff, and every team that is going to be starting rookies. I feel like all the rookies are going to get off to slow starts because there is going to be a big learning curve. The only exception that I I could see to this might be with Joe Burrow, and the only reason is because I know he he said he was working on the Cincinnati playbook and learning the playbook a month before the draft. So they knew way before they they were going to be taking him and at that point it was let's get this guy ready as ready as possible because he's our guy going to be our guy from day one not every other rookie is in that situation and any team like the Redskins like the Panthers that have a new coach a new system I think there's going to be some struggles early in the season and and that's where I think the teams that have the cohesiveness from previous years are are going to be the teams to target for for the first five six weeks of the NFL season yeah, I think that's a good call. I think it's a really smart point as well. I mean, the biggest thing for me is I see the skill, Jake, from McLaurin. I mean, you touch on it in your article. You've touched on it before in a lot of your pieces. We've all three of us have talked about him from from day one. I think it was week one he lit up the Eagles, and we're like, okay, yeah. Um, this guy was highly undrafted. Uh, go get him. He's going to be um, a nice little piece for the rest of the way. But the, the biggest thing I think for me is, yes, we'll probably see a, a step forward from Dwayne Haskins, but there's just not a lot of opportunity. Um, there's not a lot of competition rather for McLaurin to to stand out and be the guy so I thought last year he faced a lot of top coverage and I think he you know he passes which was impressive from a rookie wide receiver dealing with a rookie quarterback as well let's just stick with Washington because I like these pieces encourage everyone to go check it out you got some contenders in there of course you touch on some rookies you got the two obvious breakouts right um you know the Cortland Suttons of the world that you know broke out really last year and then you you touch on maybe just some honorable mentions and some next breakouts but really Really, you've 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 hammered home Washington in these pieces. I feel like you're um, you're feeling a little bit of a improvement here from the Washington Redskins, a new Washington fan. Like just just a lot here to love, and the biggest thing about it here is you kind of mentioned it with McLaurin. It's the opportunity. Like McLaurin, think of Steve Smith when he was with this system that might be a very similar system to where Ron Rivera was with the Carolina Panthers. Like that's what you're looking for here, and if you're looking for a lead running back. Uh, you know, you know how I feel about guys. It probably takes to the middle of the season before they really trust them. But you know, if you're talking Miles Sanders of this year, but 
people are writing off Dwayne Haskins like they're writing off Lamar Jackson after, you know, just a small sample size and not giving him a chance to be a better quarterback and not realizing that, you know, you, Brad brought up Burrow, and this isn't coming for Brad. I just want – this is a, a comparison that I want to throw out there for everybody. People talk about Burrow. You know who Burrow was statistically before Burrow? It was Dwayne Haskins. Everybody's talking about nobody's done what Dwayne Haskins has done. Dwayne Haskins turned around the entire Ohio State offense. Dwayne Haskins did this. Dwayne Haskins did that and blah, blah, blah. And then the guy struggles in his rookie season. So, well, Dwayne Haskins sucks. He can't throw the ball. He's terrible. Like, holy crap, people. Like, the guy didn't even have a full rookie season, and he's not the first quarterback to ever come in as a rookie as a highly touted quarterback and not do well in his first year. Like go all the way back to Peyton Manning. Go look how many interceptions Peyton Manning. Everybody forgets about that. Look how many interceptions Peyton Manning threw as a rookie. And I'm not saying it's Peyton Manning, but let's hold the phone before we just like hang up on the guy and throw him out to the trash. Just like J.J. Ortega Whiteside, just like the Keel Harry, just like everybody else that some people want to apologize for and some people don't. I'm not writing off anybody after a rookie year. Like chill out. And so you're talking about Dwayne Haskins, Geis in that backfield. Antonio Gibson, who I wanted to bring up on this show because I'm curious your guys' opinion. I'm not drafting him as fantasy. And I know they want to call him their Christian McCaffrey, but I mean, I think at best case, he's Tavon Austin in his best year where, you know, maybe he runs for 500 and catches 500. And you're talking about a thousand total yards, but there's no way I ever want to put him in my lineup. Hey, best ball. There you go. But you know, you talk about this and the weapons that Haskins has now. The only thing I don't love, and I told somebody because somebody said the same thing, Chris is like, Hey, there's a lot of Washington love in your columns here. It's like, don't worry. I'm not going to talk about Jeremy Sprinkle when we get to tight ends. <laughs> well, listen, I mean, Washington's still going to be a bad football team. They're going to have, like, they can have the million running backs all they want and run the football, but, you know, they're going to have to throw the football to, to catch up. And it's not a bad division to throw the football in when you're facing the Eagles and revamp secondary, but Cowboys and, and the Giants in there as well. Yeah, this is yeah, why I'm Giants continuing with Baker. Washington. Yeah, um, for sure. Um, Antonio Gibson, let's just touch on him a little bit more because I saw recently he's been in the news. I know he was asked what position he wanted to play in the NFL, and his quote was, I view myself as a weapon. (laughs) It's like, okay, (laughs) running back slash wide receiver hybrid. I know he's officially listed as a running back. He's got the size and the speed. Brad, do you view him as a weapon? Uh, I mean, in, in some sense of the word, but not, not in 2020. Like that's, that's the thing to me. Like, I don't see any way that, that he becomes that relevant in 2020 based on, they do have some other talent there. If Darius guys, I will say this, he needs to be a running back. He's, he's six foot two thirty, And that's why the, it's not, you know, when, when Jake mentions him as a Tavon Austin comparison, it's not a, a prototypical Tavon Austin comparison. They're not built right. anything alike, but he's a good athlete, can do a lot of different things. And, you know, he ran a 4.39 at 228 pounds. Like that's, that's pretty insane athleticism. Yeah, but crazy. Tavon Austin had one of the, the craziest highlight tapes ever out of coming out of college. It was just insane. And so, but it was all agility and making guys miss. And I have a really hard time thinking that's Antonio Gibson's game. I think he can be a good NFL player, but there's like the Christian, the Christian McCaffrey quote from Ron Rivera was the dumbest thing that he could have said <laughs> yeah. because why you, even put that pressure about, on the kid? You talk about putting expectations on a kid yeah. that he's a third round pick. Like, Christian McCaffrey was a top 10 pick in the NFL draft, not just the fantasy draft. Antonio Gibson was a third round pick. If you thought he was a Christian McCaffrey back, you should have taken him in the first. And, and, <laughs> and obviously they don't. They, but they, I see a little, I see a little better Sanders in this kid. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Like, it, yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> so anyways, he, I, look, I like Antonio Gibson. 
I do not think he's going to have any value in 2020. And I've mentioned this before. He will be one of the guys that I target after the 2020 season or later in the 2020 season when he hasn't done a whole lot and someone's ready to, to cut bait on him and, and try to, you know, you throw him a third round pick next year for him and they'd probably take it. That's the kind of the deal that I want to try to make to get him because there's no way I'm, if I have to draft him in the second round of a rookie draft, there is no way, not in this draft that I'm taking him in the second round. Yeah, I'm in the fourth round of one of my rookie drafts and he's actually still available. So I, I would agree with you. I don't think he's a top, you know, two round pick anyways. And I think he's just probably going to be Jake. I feel like just a player in the return game, just like he was in Memphis in, in year one. And yeah, maybe 500 in the ground, 500 in the air. I think that's a pretty good projection. I was looking at NFC, just some, some ADPs. Of course, anybody out there who plays the big money leagues, I was just looking at the ADPs from, the end of April, just after the draft up until now, and he's wide receiver 66, uh, ADP of 195. So really in your your typical average home league, he's probably not even going to get drafted. But in deeper formats, um, I suppose you can take a flyer yeah, at that point. But some wide okay. receivers going around him, Jake, Deshaun Jackson, Curtis Samuel, Alan Lazard, Denzel Mims, Elshon Jeffrey, Larry Fitzgerald. Does he stand out in that group to you? I'd rather just take um, – the upside of maybe a, a Jackson or Lazard knowing nah, that he's yeah. going to be the number two. In Lazard, Lazard, no question. Uh, this, it, at, at that point of a draft, you know, we've talked about this on the show before and for strategy in general, like, you know, I'm not afraid to take Clyde Edwards Hilaire, That Obviously that's going to change. Brad brought it up on this show. We have multiple times before if, you know, teams don't get on the field, teams aren't practicing. We get to week two and he's not even seeing first team reps and stuff like that. You know, things can change. You know, so I'm not afraid to take some risk, but generally strategies, you want to avoid more risk early. You don't want to miss in your big picks, but once you get to the mid late and late rounds, you're going for upside. You're not going for somebody that's just going to sit on your bench and be depth. You're not going for Randall Cobb at that point. You're going for somebody who could potentially be a wide receiver too. And if everything breaks right for Alan Lazard, if he's the clear number two for the Packers and is for the entire year, and now you're talking about the number two for the Packers for on years on end has been in the wide receiver one conversation at times and wide receiver two. That's where you're looking for. I'd even take Deshaun Jackson. Like, I don't think he has anything left. I, maybe he's not even on the team, but I'm going to go for somebody who could turn into that. Not somebody like Antonio Gibson, not a Randall Cotton, not those kind of names where it's just like, he's just depth because that's the first guy you cut all the time anyway. So, uh, it's funny you brought that up because somebody asked about Jalen Rager in the breakout. And first of all, again, like rookies don't count as breakouts. But second of all, like he's he's talking, he's walking into a lot of volume. I'll ask both you guys this back at you because this is your team, team too, Chris. Is like Jalen Rager's not guaranteed the number two. They're still, as of today, they're still healthy Jeffrey, healthy Deshaun Jackson again as of today. I know there's a big if. But they traded for Goodwin. They do have J.J. Ortega-Whiteside, who I don't think they should just write off yet. You have a team that runs a ton of 12 and Ertz and Goddard. There's a lot to go there before we even talk about him being the number three, let alone the number two. Like, I understand there's the potential for it, but let's chill out before we just anoint Jalen Rager as the number two in, in Philadelphia. Yeah, I totally agree with you 100%. I still feel like Ertz is going to be Wentz's number one target. And yeah, if Deshaun Jackson and Alshon Jeffrey are on the team, those guys are going to be two and three. Rager's not going to jump them. It's it's going to take an injury. And they're all in that range. I mean, I mentioned Jackson at 60, according to NFC. Rager is at 59, and Jeffrey's at 70. They're all in that <laughs> range. And to be honest, none of them are all that appealing to me, Brad. Yeah, I I completely understand that, and and I mean I love Rager. He's my number two wide receiver in this rookie class after CD Lamb, 
I, but I, I just don't see, and I, I mentioned a second ago, rookies having much of an impact in 2020. I think they are, they're, this class is going to be elite when we look back on it in three or four years, but it's going to take a while for these guys to get acquainted. And yeah, they're, they're going to stick with the guys that Carson Wentz already has rapport with. If they're healthy, the biggest problem with this team last year is they had Greg Waters, their number one receiver at the end of the year, because none of them could stay healthy. And that's why they had to go and get an elite talent. There's a good chance. I, I really, I mean, late in drafts, I've got, um, Deshaun Jackson and, and, oh, oh, help me. Who's the number one? Um, Jeffrey? Yeah, Alshon Jeffrey. I'm taking Alshon Jeffrey and Deshaun Jackson in a ton of drafts late because you can get, that's literally a number one receiver on a team that you can get in like the 16th round of a, of a best ball draft right now. And yeah, I, I'll take that all day. If Alshon Jeffrey's healthy, he might get 80 catches this year because they need receivers. The the only guys detracting from them are the tight ends and 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 how they're going to be deployed. Whether if they're going to have two tight ends on the field, it's going to squeeze a wide receiver out. But if they're going to stick with one and and have a backup, then you know then there's going to be a ton of opportunity in this wide receiver core if these guys are healthy to start the year. I wanted to, you know, pivot over to Jake's running, or not just your running back rankings, just rankings in general and who you're, you know, getting some, I guess, negative feedback for him or some pushback on. But since we're on Philadelphia, Miles Sanders, uh, Jake, are you in on Miles Sanders? Are you out on him? Where do you have him ranked? And are you getting any pushback on him? Surprisingly not. I, I, I think it's because I do have a, a decent ranking on Miles Sanders, and it's the fact that I am, to a degree, I am RB16. He's right behind Austin Eckler and Aaron Jones, and right in front of I take him before Todd Gurley and Le'Veon Bell. And that's still as of today with the rumors that Carlos Hyde, but Hyde didn't end up there. I don't think that they're necessarily done, uh, but at the same time, this is what are we asking ourselves? We're asking ourselves, are we going into the season thinking that Doug Peterson for his entire career is now going to change? And consistently, it's not just 60% here or there. We talked about this before and said Darren Sproles was the only one three times 60% of the touches. That was three times for Darren Sproles, the only one heading into before last year, so now two years ago. So it didn't happen again last year, and now we're saying, like, is it going to happen this year? Yeah, certainly. Like, things can change. You know, the Chiefs were the opposite as well as Andy Reid. Always goes with his guys. And last year he was forced to kind of mix and match and keep, you know, making other situations change with LaShawn McCoy coming in, Damian Williams hurt. But it was because of the situation. This is Doug Peterson going into a situation, knowing as it is as of today. I still think Boston Scott's involved, no matter if they do add a veteran for insurance, for depth, whatever it might be. Uh, maybe I, I can't believe I would say, but Lamar Miller maybe, but I don't. I'm not excited. Yeah, yeah I know. I'm not excited about any of them. But it's just, do we trust Miles Sanders to touch the ball 60 percent every single week? If so, RB 16 is probably low. But I think this is where I think RB 16 is a fair spot where you're taking the upside that he potentially does trust him, but you're also factoring in Doug Peterson just doesn't do this, and that's the risk you have to take. Brad, do you know where he's going in NFC drafts? RB8. Uh, same eight? Yeah, that, that wouldn't surprise RB8 me. RB8 yeah. ahead of Aaron Jones, Nick Chubb, Austin Eckler, Kenyon Drake, of course our boy. All three of us like Clyde Edwards Hilaire and we like the, the risk that you're taking early. And then Josh Jacobs. That's some pretty decent backs after him. I'm not, I don't think I can pay a first round pick for Miles Sanders. No, I, I wouldn't either. And, cause that's, that's not who I want as my RB1. I would love to have him in the second round as my RB2 because you already have a, a guy who you know is going to be a bell cow ahead of that, you know, whoever you took in the first round. And so, yeah, I, I can't like, 
that's the bottom line for me is he's going high enough in drafts that I'm not getting him because unless I'm picking at the, you know, at the turn or the, you know, the, the end of the first round. But if I'm getting one of those top five or six running backs in the, you know, at the top of the first round, there's no way he's getting back to me in the second. And I'm having to go, you know, a, a tier below that. Do you believe Jake that he can be a bell cow or is it really just on Doug Peterson and what he's done? Oh, I believe the talent's there. I 100% believe yeah, the talent's there. One of the things I said from last year's draft coming out, I said people have overlooked Miles Sanders to a degree because of who he followed up. He followed up Saquon Barkley. And I think because, I mean, it's like trying to compare a 10 out of a 10 and he's a 9 out of 10 and he kind of gets downgraded because it's just the comparison is not fair to him. You can, you put him at 99% of the other colleges in the, in, in, in colleges in the NFL, colleges out there and <laughs> Miles Sanders would have been talked about probably in the conversation, still not quite Barkley, but at least in the conversation, a lot better than what he got because, again, of who he followed. Um, did you put the NFC link or did Brad put that? I put it. Dude, did I guess, Brad, did you not see it? He went at 107 in that draft. Right. This is, yeah, this is why I put insane. this. <laughs> this, is, this is a money league. People are spending money here. We have a $200,000 overall grand price. This is how the first round went. McCaffrey, Barkley, Zeke, Kamara, Michael Thomas, good, good, Cook, good. Sanders, <laughs> Henry, Mahomes, Devontae Adams, Lamar Jackson, Austin Eckler. So we have two quarterbacks. We could touch on that. I know we've already hammered this point home, but Jake, this is money leagues. Has, has it changed here with Mahomes and Jackson and just some safety that people don't want to worry about the quarterback league? Would, would you do that in, in a big money league? Draft a quarterback? Uh, well, in the correct first me round? if I'm wrong. I know there's no trading, but isn't there, there's no, there's also no, no waivers, right? I don't know in this particular one. Okay. See, if, if there's waivers, I don't know if I could, I still can't do that. I know Mahomes, cause it's the same thing. Like, all right, let's go back to the Kelsey thing. Well, where's Kelsey going now? Middle of the second round, late second round. And that's fair because what we were talking about last year, you can make the case to take Kelsey in the first round. You can make the case to take the quarterbacks. You can make the case to take George Kittle in the first round. The problem is when you take them there, they now have to have their peak. Kelsey had to have repeated 2018 to be worth that pick. It's not the fact that he doesn't rank there. It's he has to be worth that pick because what you're sacrificing at the other positions. So, yes, it can work. You're just setting yourself up for a lot more potential downfall because of it. So, yes, it can certainly work. Mahomes and Lamar Jackson, if Mahomes has a season like he did in 2018, if Lamar Jackson repeats 2019, nobody's going to bat an eye at that. But if Kyler Murray now nips at his heels, if Dak Prescott repeats last year or even gets better, and you're getting Dak Prescott and Kyler Murray in the fifth round, and you're able to stack two running backs and two wide receivers by that point, that's the point of this. That's why. like, It does make sense in the end when you look at it and it can work, but what you're sacrificing, it has to work. That's the problem. Brad, have you have you looked at that draft? Yeah, I'm seeing it now. And what do you what do you make of the teams? The start of the teams with Mahomes and Jackson. The one Mahomes team is a little weird. I mean, he followed it up with Clyde edwards hilaire and then he backed up with Damian Williams. So I mean, he's heavy Chiefs. Is that you? I'm, I'm not fifth. sure. <laughs> it's, um, definitely, it's definitely not me. Um, <laughs> that that being said, um, it, it could be my neighbor. I don't know. Like there, there's a, a decent chance that they're a Chiefs fan. At the same time, like I understand the stacks. Like a lot of a lot of people in these leagues like to stack teams. Um, at the same time, like. You can't, you cannot take a quarterback in the first round that's not, if it's not a super flex league. You can't do it. Even in a super flex league, I, I still like waiting and getting, you know, quarterbacks in like the fourth, fifth, sixth round instead of taking them at the top. 
because it, it's the advantage is just not there. They have Mahomes has to throw for sixty touchdowns to make that worth it, or or fifty touchdowns at least. Other if he throws for thirty five or, or thirty eight, that's a wasted draft pick because you could have number one. He probably could have gotten him in the second round, um, but number two, it's it, it's I don't know. It's just. That that's crazy to see Mahomes and Jackson go in the first in a non superflex league. Like you know it, it it makes me want to. It's like if this is a high stakes league, I always thought that in a lot of ways high stakes players a lot in in some ways are better better fantasy players or better fantasy analysts than the actual analysts getting paid by a lot of you know ESPN Yahoo that kind of stuff. And then you see this happen, and it's like, okay, well, who's the Yahoo that just is throwing his money away right now? <laughs> so the funny thing is, Chris, I'm looking at these teams, and so my favorite team is the Barkley team. I mean, he's picking number two because Barkley, Julio, Allen Robinson, A.J. Brown, Carson, and Ertz in the sixth. Like, that's a great team. I kind of like Kamara's team, although I would have taken Cook over Kamara. The funny thing is, as bad as I hate the Miles Sanders pick, I actually really like that team. Sanders, Mixon, Connor, and then Cooper, Sutton, McLaurin. Right. That's actually, I and, do too. and he got Cooper in the third round. Like, I hate Cooper as my number one, but you have Sutton and McLaurin too. That's actually a really nice team. And some nice value there in James Conner. Yeah, I mean, you could have flipped it. I guess he really wanted Sanders, but I would have been fine with if, if he went Derek mixing Henry? at that point. You know, if he went mixing in the first. No, I'm saying like Derrick Henry mixing Sanders instead after. of Sanders mixing. I mean. Yeah, sure. Um, and just to back it up, there there are no in-season free agent pickups in, in this so, league, so, so that may change yeah. things um, just a little bit. But, yeah, I just wanted to bring that up Still. because there has been a little <laughs> bit of buzz. I, I agree. You can get Russell just... Wilson in the sixth round or Mahomes <laughs> in the first. Which would you rather have? Well, how about the <laughs> fact that it's just not six, worth it? But look at those teams. Six, yeah, look at the Jackson team. Hold on. There's six rounds. Forget Russell Wilson. There's six rounds done in this draft that you sent, Chris. Deshaun Watson's still on the board. Like – I know everybody's... There's only four quarterbacks. Yeah, five. Five. So, like, people are flipping their lids, and, like, still, look at the quarterbacks that are still available out there. Yeah, Kyler was third, Dak was fourth, and then Russell Wilson, um, to your point, Brad, in the sixth. So, yeah, I just wanted to bring that up because there has been this this exact um, tweet from the NFC has just been trending. A lot of people in the industry talking about quarterbacks, waiting it out, and then you see two go in the first round, and that does rub people the wrong way a little bit. I just look at the Jackson team, and I just look at his running backs. Like, this is what happens when you take a quarterback this early. Nick Chubb, RB1, fine, okay. How much is Kareem Hunt going to cut in? Probably a lot into his catches. And then David Johnson as your two, and Devin Singletary as your three. Some question marks there, especially from DJ. Like, I don't want DJ as my RB2. I, I just I just don't think that there's much there. So I just wanted to bring that up. I think Miles Sanders is probably getting overdrafted. But uh, I think he, I think the talent's there, Jake. I think the skill set is there. It's just Doug Peterson. You have to go back to when he was a rookie coach with the Eagles, and it was Ryan Matthews touching the ball consistently 20 times. It's just There's a couple points that I want to make. One, he hasn't had a back this talented yet, so that is something. He's, you know, rotating through average running backs. And two, when Jordan Howard was sidelined last year, he did average 19 touches per game in his final eight games. So if we could just get 15 to 18 touches, I think borderline RB1, but it's a big question. Can I make one counter point to that? He was also, I think, well, Greg Ward was his leading receiver at that point. Like, also tough. He was. He was catching a lot of balls. That, <laughs> like, that's, that's they legitimately had zero wide receivers left. <laughs> And Ertz, Ertz was hurt at that part too. Like he was, I think there was a couple games. Well, where he was just and I'm throwing that point. more out for the people that are saying like he averaged 19 touches and Scott was also seeing eight or nine per week. Like it's, I think that was kind yeah. of more of a, a situation too. I will leave you with this. I thought was pretty interesting. Okay. 
Running backs last season with 700 rushing yards, 500 receiving yards, 50 catches, and at least 4.5 yards per attempt. Somebody wanted, Four backs. Somebody wanted this stat. <laughs> CMC. Yeah. Alvin Kamara. Dalvin Cook. And Miles Sanders. Yeah. So, and if you make it 800 rushing yards and 4.6 yards per yeah. carry, it's only CMC and Sanders. Yeah, so like I said. Kamara didn't get 800. What do you got to say? I was just saying, no, somebody's looking for that stat. That's what I'm saying. Like, when you add that many categories, and then, like, that's just... It's all... I was looking for it when yeah. I was doing some research on... Players. I like it. I like it. Stuck, it just it like stuck this, out to me. It's the NBA, too. Like, players that have averaged 7.7 .7 rebounds, 2 assists, 53% field goal shooting, blah, blah. It's like, all right, yeah, we get it. You wanted to name this guy. <laughs> well, it's in some elite company there. No, I, uh, hey, I like sure. the stat. I will say this. I don't see any way the Eagles go into the season with Miles Sanders, Boston Scott, and Corey Clement as the only three primary running backs there. They're going to bring somebody else in, whether it's Devontae Freeman, whether it's Lamar Miller or whoever. They're going to find somebody because if Miles Sanders gets hurt right now, that, that backfield is atrocious. You don't want to, you don't want to start Corey Clement in that scenario. You don't want to, <laughs> Boston Scott can't be a number one back. Like he, he's, he's way too small to handle that kind of workload. They need somebody there for depth. I know they were in on Carlos Hyde up until Seattle signed him. Um, but they're, they're going to be bringing somebody in. They probably just don't want to pay Devontae Freeman's absurd asking price right now. So let's pivot over to Carlos Hyde and talk a little bit about Freeman. Cause you're right. It, I mean, it's, it's crazy here. So there are some reports that Freeman was offered exactly what Hyde got. I mean, Hyde just signed with the Seahawks. Uh, I think he can earn up to $4 million. The base is probably a, a one, $1.5 million range according to some, some reports, but Freeman rejected a very similar offer, apparently. Um, 28 years old, unhealthy Jake since, I don't know, that big breakout season that he had. He hasn't been healthy since then. I think he was maybe even RB1 in 2016. Um, yeah. Obviously a lot of risk there, but what's he what's he thinking here? Like, he wants to be a, a bell cow back on a team? Like, it's just not going to happen anywhere across the league. Or make money with that, and he wants to sit. He's willing to sit out 2020. I got to tell you, he's willing to sit out 2020. You're probably not coming to a job in 2021. Bye like, bye. Like, yeah, yeah. Like, if he sits out 2020, he's retiring. Exactly. <laughs> Marshall Lynch. Or the XFL maybe back in 2021. He can yeah, go play. Marshall there. Lynch had two teams that were familiar with him. Marshall Lynch had you know somebody who didn't end on multiple, multiple, multiple injuries. Yeah, he got banged up, but he wasn't ending that way. He's, you know. Still show what he had out there it wasn't just the fact that Devontae Freeman hasn't stayed healthy Devontae Freeman also hasn't looked that good so there's a lot going against him I'm surprised he didn't take that offer look I'm not in his shoes and we just started the show by arguing for the players to take as much money as possible and anybody out there and not pretending you want to do the same but at the same, same point like we understand sometimes what your value is and you know, maybe he's with the rose-colored glasses because he's trying to evaluate himself and thinks he deserves more. And you know, he's certainly fair to try and get that. And if he does get a little bit more, kudos to him. I, I hope he finds a job for his sake. But I don't see very many places left. And the Eagles made a lot of sense, especially like you said, the Hyde signing. You know, look, Hyde's not going to do much for the Seahawks besides give them depth, especially with the sound like Rashad Penny probably not healthy to start the season. So, you know, he's the depth option because they have the pass catchers there with Homer and um the one that they drafted it. I just name just escaped my mind. DJ Dallas. Thank you. So the spell out they're speaking of spelling spelling out the first name, <laughs> DJ Dallas. So there's not a lot of opportunities left. You know, maybe he signs on late somewhere, but I think it'd be a similar value to Carlos Hyde. Like we're not talking about him, we don't care about him. But as soon as the lead guy goes down, if that were to ever happen, people would be running for their waiver wire to go pick him up. 
Yeah, and even then, like, it, it doesn't excite me. He, he had 3.6 yards of carry last year. Like, he, he was, he had zero relevance if it wasn't for the 59 catches. And, and that's, that to me is what his role has, is become. Whatever team he's going to go to, I think he's going to be a, a primarily a pass catching back. I don't see him as being a, a, an every down back anymore. Even in a, I mean, in a desperate situation with injuries, maybe they try to throw him out there, but he's already proven he can't hold up in that scenario. So it's, it's, he's just taking too much pounding. He's too small. It, that's not his role anymore. He's 28 years old and it's, he's not getting younger. And he, this is just a, a, one of those scenarios. It, re, it reminds me a little bit, um, just the mentality that the, the, the person is different, but just the mentality of CJ Wilson in baseball when CJ Wilson was a closer for a long time and then just decided he went to the Rangers and said, I'm going to be a starter. And it, it was, no one had even seen him in that role. And it was like, I know he was looking at it like, this is a more valuable contract scenario for me. I think I can do this. This is what I want to do. And he tells the team, this is what's going to happen. That's Dante Freeman saying, no, I don't want to be a third down back. I don't want to be a backup. I want you to pay me like a starter because I can be a starter. I've been a starter. And, and it's, it's, you're just not the same guy. You're not the guy that you thought you were in your mind, like you might think that you're still a really good running back. And when we look at the statistics and we watch you on film, you're not what you were three years ago. If he went to Philly, it'd be a bloody mess in that backfield. So <laughs> I don't think Sanders would be I, the first If he round. went to Philly, I actually feel way better about Miles Sanders at that point. Like I, I would be more worried about Boston Scott than I would be Miles Sanders. Sure. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. I think it was 2015 was the, the RB1 season. 73 grabs. He had that year on 97 targets, a thousand yards on the ground and 11 rushing touchdowns, 14 total. Then he backed it up in 2016 with 11 rushing touchdowns, but it just seems like forever ago. Jake, you mentioned Carlos Hyde. So he signs the, the contract with Seattle. He's recovering from surgery to repair a torn labrum. He's doubtful for the beginning of camp, whenever that may be. Carson's still rehabbing his hip injury, but the Seahawks have said he's going to be ready for week one. There's some insurance here. Doesn't look like Rashad Penny is going to be available. Seems like he's likely going to start reserve pup list potentially costing six games i think we in agreement here that we all like chris carson this doesn't do anything for chris carson maybe the fact jake that you're just going to be able to get him a little bit cheaper i actually think i don't know it's i think this is actually good for chris carson because i don't see carlos hyde being any more than a handful of touches just depth option and the bigger concern for Chris Carson would have just been like actually legit competition from a healthy penny or if they drafted somebody that was more than mainly a pass catcher in Dallas. So I'm, I look, I, I told you where I have Chris Carson. I take Chris Carson before a lot of people, including Miles Sanders. So. Okay. RB 21, Brad, um, NFC. I think that's a fair price. For, for Carson? Yeah, I, I like it. I, I like the value there. He's been really good. The, the, the only question is, is he healthy to start the year? The Seattle seems to think he's going to be if he doesn't have any kind of a setback. And at that point, yeah, I want him. Like the, the only thing that concerns me about Carson besides the, you know, assuming he's healthy week one is the amount of fumbles last year. He, he was breaking NFL records for fumbles in a season. And that, that makes me a little leery of how long they will put up with that because Hyde was pretty good last year, and it's not like the the Texans had the best offensive line in football. And Seattle's got a better offensive line; they've got a better scheme for it. If 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 Carson goes out and starts fumbling to start the year again, there's a chance that that Hyde could take over a, a much more prominent role there. And he's on a one year deal; they have no incentive to hold him back. Like they could end up running him into the ground at that point. And 
and just the volume that comes with that Seattle Seattle offense could be he could be a really good late round flyer to just sit on especially I like taking handcuffs of guys who I don't have the starter like I if I would I would be interested in drafting Carlos Hyde if I don't have Chris Carson on my team because I like to have a, the chance of getting someone else's starter later in the year and then just holding them for ransom and and there's a there's a chance that you know a, a decent chance that that happens this year because of those multiple facets of why Carson might lose his job. I think it was a big telling point. Maybe they didn't have anything really to go to on the roster, but the fact that they kept going back to him despite the fumbles. I think it's been two years in a row now. He really hasn't taken care of the football, but he has still been productive, and they've gone back to him. So I still like Carson. Uh, Carlos Hyde is not gonna to, not gonna steer me away from from drafting Chris Carson. A few more news and notes to get to before we wrap up today's version of the throwback. And this one's very important, people, because smelling good is key. You don't want to stink up the joint, especially if you're stuck at home. Maybe it's a significant other or a friend not smelling so good. Well, I got something for you. Plus, Father's Day right around the corner. Perfect gift for your dad or father figure in your life. So you need to figure out what scents work for you. And if you head to Hawthorne.co, you can take a quick two-minute quiz, and Hawthorne will tell you which two colognes are best for you. One for work and one for play. Totally risk-free with free shipping and free returns. Check out Hawthorne at Hawthorne.co. That's Hawthorne with an E and .co, not .com, Hawthorne.co, and use my promo code ATHLETIC to get 10% off your first purchase. That's Hawthorne.co with the promo code ATHLETIC to get 10% off your first purchase. Hawthorne.co. Jake, did you want to touch on Dobbins and CEH and Taylor and Swift and just like a dynasty value? Because I feel like I, I've took part in a couple rookie drafts. Man, Swift has really fallen lately. I, I don't put him in that tier with those three I think talent wise I would but I don't know what it is is it a Detroit factor do you think like Patricia and maybe some some health that people just bypass him in the first six seven picks I think it's a mistake but there seems to be some value there in rookie drafts with with Swift yeah I put him in there because I started seeing people and I, that's why it's Dobbins versus I started seeing people that are all projecting for 2021 and forward and basically just skipping past 2020. And they're like, I think I should take Dobbins. You see what Dobbins is going to walk into next year with no Mark Ingram and Dobbins is this. And I don't disagree. Like my tier one was Dobbins was in tier one, but you still need to win in 2020. 2020 still matters. And Things could change by 2021. Who has a job as of today? Well, Clyde edwards helaire Again, this is expecting the offseason to go as expected. Who has a job? Clyde edwards helaire should have the lead. Taylor should have the lead. Swift should have the lead. Carrion Johnson's going to backup duty. I'm not saying that it might not be a 60-40 split and not as much Swift as we want, uh, being we as in the fans of Swift. And that's certainly a concern where, you know, maybe he's stuck in RB2 territory because of Patricia in that offense. But at the same time, we're also talking about an offense that could potentially have the theoretic value just go to Swift himself and, and be in a, like an Austin Eckler type role where 60% still makes you a borderline RB1. So I'm still saying the fact that like, I love Dobbins, but I'm going to, I know Dobbins might be great at the end of the season, might be great for 2021 once that's his. 
Edwards, Hilaire, Taylor, and Swift are leads. And I'm taking all three of them in Dynasty because I'm still winning this year. I still want options for this year. I can't see a situation, Brad, and you play in a Dynasty too, where I just, I can't see taking Dobbins over them. I can see maybe if you want to make the argument, Dobbins versus Swift on those two alone, just because come next year, Swift still has to deal with Patricia in that backfield, and Dobbins should, and I still say should, you just never know, but should have that backfield to himself in that offense. And if you want to do that, I understand. But the Taylor and the Edwards Hilaire, I just don't understand how people are all of a sudden now so infatuated with 2021 Dobbins that they're talking about taking him as the first running back in the dynasty. Yeah, I that that's crazy to me. That's just uh, you know reading the narrative. It's it's a lot into the team. Like it's a great rushing offense. Um, you know. Lamar Jackson's really good at RPOs and Dobbins thrives in RPOs. There's a lot of great things to like about it. I do like Dobbins over Swift long term. Um, but it's, there's no way, no way I'm putting Dobbins over CEH or, or Jonathan Taylor. Um, with the draft capital spin on those two guys, there, there's just, there's no way those teams don't look to feature those guys. And I, at the same time, I, I will fully acknowledge, I just said, I think rookies will get off to a slow start for the most part this year. That's why I I am higher on Marlon Mack than most people. I am higher on Damian Williams than most people because I do think at least for the first half of the season, they are going to dominate those backfields, the 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 touch share, um, even pr- from a production standpoint, because you can't just walk into everybody saying Jonathan Taylor over Marlon Mack. I would rather have Marlon Mack in 2020 because of the coronavirus, because I think Marlon Mack is a decent decent enough running back to and and knows this offense understands how the offensive line blocks he's going to have production Taylor is going it's going to take a, a little bit of adjustment and they you know Philip Rivers is not going to put up with any kind of mistakes like that's not his his style he'll roll whoever out Naeem Hines out there before Taylor if Taylor's making mistakes and that's the the biggest concern for me for rookies and and so give me the incumbents every time and that's that's why I, that's why I'm I'm I, but I don't see, I don't see Dobbins even having much of a role in 2020. Um, I just, I don't know. There's no way I take him over those two guys. I, I still think Gus Edwards is probably the number two back on this team to start the year. Yeah. I don't, I don't know about that, but I definitely don't think Mark Ingram's going anywhere as, as much as people want him to. I, I still think he's going to have a role in this team. So I, I think that from a redraft standpoint, Dobbins is probably a pass for me, but I could, I, I honestly have him ahead of Swift, but it's it's close. It's I definitely wouldn't take him over Clyde Edwards-Helaire or Jonathan Taylor. I would just wait it out. I agree, Matt could be still have a big role, Brad, but you know you'll you'll have Taylor and link to a, a solid offensive line in a dynasty league for for a lot of years. And I, th- I guess that's the appeal is Baltimore's offense. People want a piece of that running offense, and they're going to score some points. So I understand it from a redraft standpoint. Again, referencing NF. NFC, we have Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, RB14, we have Taylor, RB18, Swift, RB24, and then RB29 is Dobbins, but one guy ahead of him, Jake Cam Akers, RB28, Sean McVay says he feels good. He's got three really good running backs. I think he's a liar. <laughs> it's, it's he's coach, definitely a liar. Yeah, it's coach speak of the offseason. I still think when all <laughs> is said and done, I don't know why, like, hey, maybe, you know, I'll happily be completely wrong about this i don't know why people are so hung up on malcolm brown uh, i think he's just in like a every a guy. he's a replacement level running back and even what he did last year wasn't world groundbreaking whatever you want to throw out there like it wasn't that amazing like he put up a decent numbers in a handful of games it wasn't even like it was multiple games 
and it's a great offense to be in. Malcolm Brown is just a guy. Like, sorry for Malcolm Brown. But you talk about the potential of Daryl Henderson and Cam Akers as a one-two punch to go back to. I use Austin Eckler a lot because that's what the NFL is doing. It's a copycat league. But you go back to Melvin Gordon and Austin Eckler for the second half of the season, and that's what Cam Akers and Daryl Henderson can be. And Cam Akers, people have continued to underrate from what he was in college because of the offensive line, one of the worst in the college game, and still produced terrifically in a pretty poor offense to boot as well with Florida State. But Florida State needs to get back on track, everybody. What the hell's going on with this program? And I hate Florida state but anyway uh that being said like they could easily for, to go back to the melvin gordon and austin eckler they were both rb2s and they were mid it was mid for gordon and austin eckler was on the fringe well, ppr i think he jumped into rb1 but once gordon was back at 100 percent and in the lead of that backfield in that 60 65 percent split with austin eckler they were both top 15 ish running backs top 16 maybe somewhere right around there and I'm not saying that's what Cam Akers and Daryl Henderson are going to do, but they could be the lesser version where Cam Akers is the RB2 and Daryl Henderson's the RB3 and be very happy with that in fantasy. Yeah, there's, I, I think there's a chance that Cam Akers has the most volume of any, any of these rookie running backs in 2020. I, he's walking into the best immediate situation because like you said, Malcolm Brown is a replacement level. Darrell Henderson, if they, if Darrell Henderson was really good, they would not have drafted Cam Akers in the second round. They, they're nervous about that, that having Darrell Henderson have to have the ball at, at, for any, any kind of substantial, you know, substantial workload. That's a, a backup scenario at best right now. He was not as good as they hoped he'd be. And at this point, there's a, there's a good chance that, that, Akers walks in and takes the starting job from week one, and I like Akers. He's used to blocking behind really bad or running behind bad blocking offensive lines at Florida State. That's exactly what he's walking into with the Rams. So it's 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 a scenario where he could just get a lot of volume. Gurley, for say what you want about Gurley's knee and how he may not have been as explosive last year. Gurley was productive in this offense. He was an RB one last year, and. There's no way Malcolm Brown or, or Darrell Henderson is that. And so why not Cam Akers? And I, like I said, I, I think the other guys are in some muddled backfield situations for 2020. And I don't think Akers is. I think he walks in and there's a good chance that he's over 200 carries at the end of the year. Yeah, I don't think Malcolm Brown is, is gonna cut into anything that, <laughs> that Akers is gonna do. Maybe he's gonna steal a couple goal line touches. Was it week one, Jake, when, week one or week two last year when I think Brown took a couple red zone opportunities from Gurley and I think the entire fantasy community panicked a little bit. So there could be some of that. But let's be honest, I mean, Brown's not gonna be, he's not gonna be a threat to, to Cam Akers and, and what he's gonna do. M- maybe McVeigh is gonna rotate through three of them early on, but I, I, I fully can't see it. I, I'm in on Acres. I want a piece of him. I want shares. Do, do you know a couple more news and real notes. quick? Do you guys do you know what Malcolm yep. Brown averaged last year? I think he actually averaged. I don't know. I'm just spitballing here. Yeah, yards <laughs> per carry, three point seven yards per carry. Was it three point? Three point okay. seven. By the way, for your point, is the first week was eleven for fifty three for two touchdowns when people started to panic a little bit. Six for thirty seven in week two, six point two yards. And then 2.3, negative one rushing yards against the 49ers, and then the Arizona <laughs> the final game. The dude did nothing. Yeah, he did nothing. I thought his yards per carry numbers were actually okay that he just got phased out of the offense. No, he had 4.9. You know whose yards before. per carry numbers were okay? Not Gus really. Edwards. Yeah. <laughs> we, likes and that's, that's why he's 5.3 last year and 711 rushing yards. Like people, you would have never guessed Gus Edwards had over 700 rushing yards last year. And, and that's why I think I, Akers has a shot to, to have way more volume than what J.K. Dobbins does in, 
in 2020 because they brought Gus Edwards back on a one-year deal. They still have Justice Hill there, who is probably their pass-catching back. I just, I think I love Dobbins long-term. I just think he's going to have a really hard time working in working in this year. Akers doesn't have that issue. Okay, so McVeigh, potential liar. Matt Nagy, potential liar. Um, he says, <laughs> definite liar. He says, open competition in August for his starter starting quarterbacks, Nick Foles and Mitch Trubisky. You buying that, Jake? Nope. You don't make the trade for Nag. You don't make the trade for Foles. No, it, it might not be. Start it might be a competition in that the backup Trubisky gets more reps than the average team would normally give. But no, it's unless Foles looks miserable, and there's no chance that Trubisky is even a threat at this point. This is Foles. This is Foles' job, unless something goes haywire. You agree with that, Brad? Yeah, thousand percent. Yeah, I mean, you got John DiPolipo, who is with Foles in Jacksonville, Philadelphia. QB coach. You got Bill Lazor, who is with in Philadelphia. Nagy, who is with in Philadelphia, and KC. Uh, Foles is the guy there. I'm not excited about him from a fantasy standpoint, but I think it's better for the offense. Let's wrap up with Paris Campbell. He was in the news as well, Jake. Um, I don't think this is really coach speak, but Frank Reich says he's going to line up a little bit more in the slot. And, you know, a lot of skill from Paris Campbell, but unfortunately you just never got to see it last year with a few injuries. No, and there's a heck of a lot of upside here. That To Brad's point from before, is somebody that I own a lot of already is Paris Campbell, and he's, you know, talking about vacating Chester Rogers, I think ran over 80% of his snaps from the slot. And Paris Campbell needs to be in the slot. He's going to be super dangerous from the slot. And the point that I'm making here is that, yeah, it's great. It's the Michael Pittman, talented wide receiver. Can get excited about him. Should run outside across from T.Y. Hilton. But this is a situation where talent-wise, Paris Campbell, if healthy, would have been thought of a lot higher heading into this season. And running out of the slot, this might be a case where the number two wide receiver is actually the one running out of the slot in production. And for Michael Pittman being a rookie to everything Brad continually says on this show and that we still have plenty of time to find out if the rookies are going to be behind the the cliche behind the eight ball. But Paris Campbell could be the number two in production. And Michael Pittman could just be the, hey, you know, finishes the year with 550 yards and five touchdowns and you just never knew when to use him. Yeah, I I completely agree. I It's you know, one of those probably best ball better than real life. Like I want Paris Campbell in a dynasty league. And if I can get him super cheap, I do think long-term there is, there is some value there. He's a super dynamic player. They've at this point in his career, Phillip Rivers is not a deep ball thrower. We saw him try to throw deep balls last year. And most of the time it went to the other team. So he, they're going to try to get the ball out of his hand quick. They're going to try to get it into guys' hands that are playmakers. And there is, there is probably not a better playmaker on this team than Paris Campbell. The question is, Will, will they use him in that role? But if he's the slot guy to start the year, give me all the Paris Campbell because there's a lot of value in that role with, with, with Phillip Rivers at quarterback and also with with just the dynamism that Campbell brings to the table. Yeah, second-round pick last year. A few injuries, as I mentioned. Season-ending broken foot. Really didn't get to see him on the field. But, Jake, you're talking about the slot. I know pro football, pro football focuses. He ran nearly 50% of his routes from the slot. And I agree. Phillip Rivers cannot throw the ball downfield. And plus, T.Y. Hilton hasn't been healthy. Right over the past couple of years too, so there could be a real opportunity. And yes, a steal not only in dynasty leagues, a buy low opportunity, but he is wide receiver seventy four right now in redraft leagues NFC. Ooh. So there's yeah, okay. there's some there's some nice in around there. Kenny Stills, D.D. Westbrook, Tyrell Williams, Cole Beasley, James Washington. Yeah, just give me Paris Campbell. 
Yeah, Ups- the upside is too high. The upside is too high to to ignore on a guy there. You don't draft a guy like Kenny Stills right there because there's there's no upside with Kenny Stills. Take the guy that could could end up being fantasy relevant as opposed to a guy who might get you three catches a week. Wide receiver eighty one, Jake Devin Funches. <laughs> hey, he he might be the number two. There's there's he a may be, there's yeah. a world like like be realistic about it. He could be. Yeah, maybe a red zone threat at least uh, in a couple of weeks for Aaron Rodgers. That's it, because you know he's not lasting full season. Jake, final words? Any? I know we didn't get to push back in your rankings. We can do that on another time. But is there one guy that you just want to throw out there that people seem to hate that you love? Nah, we'll save that for next week. Okay. Go we'll check see. the link. <laughs> Go check the link. Um, always a pleasure. Good to be back. I know we went a little long, but we wanted to get through some baseball stuff there. So hopefully we hear some good news in, in the baseball world of things. We will be back next week. Thanks for taking the time to hang out. All in Kids, where you can follow Jake at Brad Ziegler, myself at Chris Meany. Subscribe to The Athletic. Check out theathletic.com slash free 90 days. Have a good one, guys.